Welcome to this episode of the Break Magazine podcast. This week, we talked to a guest called Billy Ward. Uh, Billy is a person that I've known for quite a long time, actually, through various other people in adventure motorbike world. And he is, without a shadow of a doubt, a very unique character. He finds himself in incredibly interesting situations, doing different things to the rest of us and approaching life in a very different way. And this podcast is very much about his approach to adventure travel, what he enjoys, and some of the experiences he has had in the last few years, mostly centered around a film he made in Iraq in 2017. I think they filmed it. It came out in 2018. We talk about a lot of those experiences that he went through in that country and his general approach to adventure travel. That film was something he made with Claudio von Planta from Long Way Round, Long Way Up, Long Way Down fame. Uh, he's the cameraman on that TV show. And they made this series together. And they've also made another film based in Afghanistan, but we don't really talk about that too much. It's mostly just about Iraq and Billy's kind of approach to adventure travel in general and some of the experiences he's been through. So without further ado, I will let the podcast play out and I hope you enjoy it. Billy, welcome to the podcast. For those watching the podcast, I have known Billy for quite a long time now. Um, and for me, Billy is a really interesting person because he likes to make films and go on adventures that probably the rest of us don't. Uh, he likes to make himself a little bit more uncomfortable than the rest of us do. And there's a bunch of films that he's made that for me make really interesting conversations. And the first of those uh, that we just did an intro about, and I messed it up, uh, was a film called, what is the film called, Billy? What is the proper well, title? Uh, a Kurdish we, movie. I've got on my we've, notes. We've called it loads of different names, but uh, uh, a, a Kurdish trip, uh, an Iraqi voyage, an Iraqi adventure, the adventure across Iraq, because... Funny enough, that film, we, we did some small uh, pieces of that film. We went from the Iranian border in Iraq, uh, uh, headed west, headed north, and went into Kurdistan. And we our destination was Mosul. And Mosul back in like a couple of years ago was when we were there was the final frontier for ISIS. ISIS were basically corralled into Mosul. And and basically the uh, the coalition, the Iraqi army, the Peshmerga army, basically pushed most uh, pushed into Mosul and and really tried to finish ISIS. I mean, of course, the reality is you you can't finish ISIS because you know it's 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 bigger than a big thing. But the final battle was in Mosul, and so our plan was to ride motorcycles to Mosul and and witness what it's like to live in these kind of difficult uh challenging countries challenging areas of the world and that 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 was our that was our plan and, and that's what we did and and when we came back uh sky uh picked up on 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 that piece of work and sky basically sky tv said we just love this this is incredible this is this is like one of the freshest things we've seen for a long time. You know, it's exciting. It's it's ordinary people. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's challenging. It's 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 war, a war zone. 
uh, let's make it into a massive documentary. And of course, me and Claudio said, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> let's do that. That's awesome. And then he said, not only that, uh, Billy and Claudio, we'd like to send you to other places. Are, are, are you up for it? And, and of course, we all said, yeah, absolutely. This is fantastic. And uh, and then bizarrely, uh, and and that's what, sorry, that's why we gave it several different names. We it had several different names that we were playing with to make it what we thought would be a, a good seller or an interesting hook to bring us in. So it, it went by several names, and uh, and then Sky took it, and and our, our whole world was apparently going to change, and 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 sadly it sort of didn't because Sky went through this massive restructuring due to the impact of Apple TV and Netflix and Amazon, Amazon Live, uh, Amazon Prime, sorry. And, uh, and next minute, the people that we were dealing with, they, their role moved to New York. And, and although we carried on the conversation, it, it basically fizzled out. So from one minute, they're giving us, offering us like good money and serious like uh, planning for future episodes. And then it, it all fizzled out. But anyway, we can come back to that later. But yeah, we, we, we rode motorcycles from from the Iranian border and we went to Mosul. And, and that was that was pretty awesome. So let's go back to before you started that trip. Where where does that idea come from? And then okay, so, how do you make it happen? Yeah, well, well, well firstly, you know that I, I work with... Uh, I do a lot of work with Charlie Borman. Charlie Borman, uh, aka Long Way Round, Long Way Down, Long Way, Long Way Up, Long Way Inside Out, Race to Dakar, by any means, Extreme Frontiers. So I work, I do a lot of projects with Charlie, and, and so I've all, I've already got that kind of that kind of hunger for adventure and hunger for excitement and, and that. And and over the years, I've done a few things with with Charlie that that fall into that category, if you like. So. Uh, long, long time ago, I rang up his, uh, I rang up his agent and said, I've got this great gig. I'm organizing this great gig. We're going to go to South America and we're going to do an evening with Charlie Borman in about five, six different locations. And it's going to be cool and it's good money and, and, you know, it's going to be great. And he said, great. Oh, awesome, Billy. Thanks for keeping me, you know, in, in the loop. And then, so I cracked on and organized this great event that we were going to. And uh, and then next minute, the we were ready to go, maybe a week to go. And then the phone went and it was Charlie Borman's agent saying, Billy, I've, ju- I've just heard you're going to uh, El Salvador, El Salvador, the, the kidnapped capital of the world. Uh, I, and when you said South America, I, I didn't I didn't realize you meant, you know, the kidnapped capital of the world. And I went, yeah, but come on, you know, these are mythical things, you know, 24 hour news. You know, he said, no, 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 Billy, Billy, it, it is the kidnapped capital of the world. I mean, wh- what have you done to, you know, to ensure that, you know, Charlie Borman's safety? And, and I, I hadn't done anything like, you know, nothing like, you know. And, uh, and of course, he was talking about insurance and talking about uh, a security. And, and, and I said, well, I've got all that in hand. Uh, Oh, oh, thank goodness for that," he says. "Thank goodness, Billy. I, you know, of course. Uh, I was just worried about, you know, security and insurance. And I said, no, no. I tell you what. I tell you what. I'll send you the details of what I've planned in terms of Charlie Borman's security and insurance. I'll, I'll email you the bits and pieces. You can look at them and then come back to me. And he went, oh, fantastic, Billy. And I put the phone down. And I thought, shit. 
I mean, I, I hadn't done anything. I mean, to me, it was just another exciting trip, you know, and, you know, kidnapped capital of the world didn't really come into it. And, and over the next, like, four days, I had about four days, I had to ring around to try and get insurance that, that they would cover what if Charlie was kidnapped, you know? What if the ransom is a million dollars? I mean, you know, and, and also, what, what about arrival at the airport? What about security, like day-to-day -day security? We were there for three weeks. And, uh, and I, anyway, I pulled it all together really, really quickly and sent it all to the agent, and, and he sort of signed it off, and so we're all good to go. We flew to uh, New York, and then from New York, we went to Miami, and then Miami, we, we flew into El Salvador. And, <laughs> and one of the things you do when you're learning about going to dangerous places, there's like all sorts of little rules or tips and tricks that you can use, and, and one of them is that you send, particularly in places that are renowned for airport, uh, kidnappings airport kidnappings are where you're kidnapped before you even get into the country in a sense that you you walk out the door of the airport and you're kidnapped the taxi driver takes you and and that that is the easiest way of catching people because you're so off guard you've literally had a 12-hour flight you're tired you know you jump in a cab and then you're kidnapped and, and it's very, very popular in South America, Mexico and El Salvador. And but I was already on the case with that. So you what you do is you send a, an email verification to the person who's going to be picking you up. They send you uh, a, an image of their passport. Uh, you print that out or have it in your phone. And then when you outside getting harassed by loads of taxis, the guy who's got the passport image that verifies who he is, is the one that you go in. So happy, happy days. We're in the right it's a range rover a black range rover sport with blacked out windows and i'm thinking wow this is it's not is a long. regular taxi is it yeah yeah and and this is the guy who, who we deranged like you know and and uh, we're in there with him and, and right away i noticed like you know a gun in the front of the car and i thought jesus wow this is proper real hey you know and then i i had the window uh, half down and i said wow charlie look at that pickup truck behind us look at it and we, we all looked around, like the driver as well. And, and the, in the pickup truck, there was a really nice black pickup truck with about five blokes in the back. And they're all armed to the teeth. And lots of them were AK-47, but chrome. They were like chrome, chrome AK-47. <laughs> I thought, wow, look at that, Charlie. And I've seen AKs all over Africa. And I went, Jesus, Charlie, that, that's, that's like a, that's a chrome AK. And me and Charlie were going, wow, that's amazing. And I said to the driver, so what's the story with them, dude? I mean, who are they? And he goes, they are your security, my friend. They are protecting you. They are with you now. They are your security. And I was like, wow, Jesus. Like, <laughs> And as we pulled away in, in the Range Rover, they followed us. like, And that was it. Everywhere we went for the next three days. We were there for three weeks. Three days, everywhere we went. We'd go to the shop, go for an ice cream pickup truck guys come come out ak-47s everywhere they're all in semi-paramilitary kind of gear sounds and like a massive was... uh, flag that says kidnap me yeah well <laughs> yeah, well you've just nailed it you know absolutely llewellyn you've just nailed it because three days in me and charlie said you know what everywhere we go it's kidnap me it's like look at this guy look at you know look at us and and uh, so day three we basically said, you know what, that this is ridiculous. I mean, this is just falling for the the twenty four hour 
media, the 24-7 media. Like, this is like, you know, so we, I went and said to the guy, against all the rules now, because basically our insurance would have now been null and void because our insurance that we pulled out in terms of kidnap insurance uh, would now be null and void because we agreed, let's just get rid of the security. This is ridiculous. And we got rid of the security and uh, we'd already been paid. So, you know, they were happy just to walk away. And uh, and we had the best three weeks you'd ever have in your life. It was just, we had such an incredible time. The people around us, everywhere we went, motorcycle fraternity, it was a social thing. We did the gigs. Uh, we traveled all over El Salvador. We did rides. Oh, it was just m- incredible. And, and we never, ever, the whole time, never, ever felt uh, any any way uh, insecure. Never felt that we were in a, in any threat. And don't get me wrong. I'm not this. I'm not discounting the fact that perhaps we we were, but we never ever felt it. And we felt very comfortable. And we were always surrounded by good network of people. And it was brilliant. We had a fantastic time. So uh, so I, I suppose what I'm saying is, it, working in what I've already done in the past. Uh, it didn't make the Iraqi gig that much of a that much of a radical jump, really. You know, we, we we've done El Salvador. Uh, you know, we've been me and Charlie been together in Mozambique when 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 we had a massive uh, killing in front of us. Uh, I think there was seventy eight people killed uh, on the road through Mozambique. Uh, political unrest. And, and we were going through there and, you know, we weren't allowed to go through because it was so uh, dangerous with snipers. And, and, and basically we, they told us we have to wait for four days to go through in a, a military convoy to have all the protection of, of the Mozambique army. And, and, and we couldn't because we were on a timeline <laughs> and, you, and you go into the, like, the military leader and saying, I'm sorry, sir, but we're from England and we're, we're, we're on a quite a tight timeline here we've got hotels booked and you know we can't wait four days to go through in a military convoy and and long story short that you know they they let us through and we went through and it was a bit a bit dodgy and a little bit you know a little bit stressful but also sort of reasonably exciting as well like and and then afghanistan you know we've traveled right through afghanistan through helmand province you know through villages that were you know clearly uh, al-qaeda villages clearly rebel villages and and yeah we had an amazing amazing time in in afghanistan and i met again incredible people and even got stopped in the middle of nowhere by by the usa forces by american forces and and to be honest we felt more scared getting stopped by them than than we did on the whole on the the whole trip like because at that time there was a lot of uh friendly fire stuff in in the news you know where where you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and it didn't matter whether you were from the uk or europe or wherever you, you could end up being killed like so uh, and and then of course you know i've had a long history with claudio von planta claudio von planta is an incredible uh documentary maker incredible war journalist uh, he's been all over the world he's, he's filmed in very very dangerous hot spots all over the world and to be to be friends with him is pretty cool, a real privilege. But then to work with him is is super. It's just absolutely. I've done South America, Central America, uh, with him, uh, and then this opportunity came up to, you know, to go from to go across Iraq on motorbikes. And 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 I think the initial kick there was to show the world that some of these war zones 
are actually just full of people like me and you, full of people who've got children and got jobs to do and got a, a living to earn and got to, you know, dress the kids and get them to school and, and got to ride motorbikes and got to do fun things and got to go and enjoy life. And all these things are just normal to the human the human way. And uh, and, and Claudio had this idea where it'd be really cool to go there and, and maybe do a bike trip there that would show the world that, what I've just said that people are people are people all over the world doesn't matter whether you're in El Salvador Mozambique Afghanistan you know it's the situation around you that can be different but the people themselves have got the same needs the same requirements the same the same love the same hate the same you know fears and uh, and so I jumped at it yeah that that and so that was the Iraq trip that was that was flying into Iraq in the dead of night, into a war zone, a declared war zone, uh, looking for motorcycles and coming up with this ad hoc plan, really, to ride from the Iranian border on the east side of of Iraq uh, to Mosul, to the front line. So one of the things I think, you know, in in popular culture at least and like you've touched on it there already the 24-hour news culture that we have my opinion or not my opinion but my kind of observations of iraq and much more so afghanistan is that those places have been utterly annihilated by war but i think in the little bit of your film that i've seen the situation in iraq looks very different when you get to mosul the situation looks like a city that works and functions. So what was your experience on the ground of the remnants of war and how that affects people and their day-to-day lives? Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. I think, I think I would revert back to my previous statement there that the reality of the world is that human beings are more or less the same all over the world. And we're all fearful of similar things. And we're all anxious about our children. We're all worried about our employment, our economy, can, our, our house. Can we, can we find somewhere to live? Can we, can we buy a nice house? Can we buy a new house? Can we, you know, can we have a car? We all sort of have these same needs and that. And the, the weird thing about Iraq and Afghanistan would be the same, to be honest, in, in many respects. But the weird thing about Iraq is that you can walk into a, a, a northern city, particularly because they're the, they're the cities that I sort of that I sort of visited. But and these are busy economies with uh, lots of people busying around in, in trucks and cars and motorcycles, like small motorcycles and, 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 and bikes. And, and it's busy, busy, busy. And it's go, go, go. And it's like, you know, and, and at the same time, it's a declared war zone. You know, it's, it's a, an official war zone. You are now in a war zone, but people have still got to go to the co-op and get a pint of milk. People have still got to go, you know, to the petrol station and fill up the car with petrol. It's like there's a certain normality that that is necessary. It's like part of you know being alive. And and I think what I think what me and Claudio were trying to do is to try and show the humanity of of these places. I mean, he's been he's been to. I mean, Claudio von Planter. He interviewed Bin Laden. 
Bin Laden. I heard he's, this story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. He's one of the few people in the world who not only had the balls to just go out there on his own bat. He didn't get sent there as such. He went out there looking for Bin Laden, and he has been in so many difficult war and dangerous situations and filmed it. And, you know, and I, even in my limited experience of filming, it's so uh, easy to be stuck behind the camera and not realize the danger that you're in. You know, you know, even filming uh, action shots of motorcycles, you know, enduros and that you're, you're filming it and the bikes are missing you by like, you know, a meter or a meter and a half or whatever. And you're really in a dangerous situation. But once you're behind the camera, you 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 feel like you're just an observer looking at the danger. But the funny thing with Claudio is he goes beyond that. He has, and, and I'm bigging you up, Claudio, if you're listening, dude. <laughs> he, he has this ability to disconnect from the danger, either either behind the camera or, 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 or not. He can disconnect from the danger and he just runs with it. Now, he ended up in Afghanistan and went into like a local cafe and said, hello, my name's Claudio. I'm from uh, Europe and I would like to uh, interview uh, Mr. Bin Laden. Now, if that is not a recipe for disaster, I don't know what is. If that is not like, why don't you just put a hood over my head and then shoot me and bury me in the desert? I mean, I can't even believe he he had the balls to do that. And and that and that is normal for Claudio. Claudio does not see the, 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 the danger the way an ordinary human being, I think, would see that danger. And he went into the same area looking for bin Laden day after day after day on his own bat, you know, not supported by CIA or MI5, MI6 now. And he and, and eventually and all that time he could have been killed. He literally could have been killed. And, and then one day a group come in and say, Actually, uh, you're the guy looking for Bin Laden. You want to do an interview? And I said, and he and he and he goes, yeah. I want to I want to tell Bin Laden's story. I I want to be the person that reveals what is it that's driving Bin Laden. And of course, what he did is he sold them the opportunity for Bin Laden to speak to the West, to speak to the world. And 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 they put him in in the in the back of a four by four, and they put a hood over his head. Now, when that happens. My feeling is that that's goodbye. That's like, if you can, text your mother and tell her, I'm very, very happy that you looked after me all my life, my mummy. I love you dearly, mummy. Goodbye. That, to me, that is the fucking end of it. And uh, But no, they, they put the hood over his head. They took him out into the desert. And the next minute, they introduced him to the man himself, Mr. Bin Laden. And he interviewed him. So that is that is the level of credibility you know that that we're talking so, so when you talk about when you talk about claudio in that way though uh, and then you're going especially i i imagine with iraq like it's still uh obviously a declared war zone but the the gulf war two whatever you want to call it is quite a long time gone whereas the when you went to afghanistan the situations may be a little bit different when you're in those situations with claudio and you're aware that he is so numb to the danger do you find did you find yourself trusting him or did you find yourself having to 
be more aware and pay attention and trust your instincts a little bit more because he's obviously like the expert in a scenario but also just completely numb to everything that's going on no i i i get your point there i i think it was a bit of both on on the one hand you know claudio is quite well connected in the middle east uh he he knows his way around the middle east he knows the hot spots he knows the areas that are extremely dangerous uh he's he, he introduced me to uh, a couple of really really lovely lovely people who were uh, who sort of became our our fixers you know and uh, and we were with our fixers when we arrived and he trusted them he's known them for a long time uh, a, a guy called uh, k Bahur and another guy called miran and both of them are, are Kurdish, northern Iraqi Kurdish, and they know they know the politics. They know the they know the good guys. They know the bad guys. And between them being in that network, and be, between knowing Claudio the way I do, on the one hand, there were times when we were told at gunpoint to put the cameras down, and Claudio refused. Claudio carried on filming and encouraged me to carry on talking to the men with the guns. And this is this was in this was in Iraq. In Iraq, yeah. And 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 so on the one hand, he would be frivolous isn't the right word, but he would be a professional journalist who really wanted to capture that. So even though they were at gunpoint telling him to put the camera down, he refused and told me and encouraged me to carry on talking to the guys with the guns because that was great footage. So that's sort of his professionalism. <laughs> Whereas I'm looking at him thinking, Claudio, I think we should put the camera down now. You know, it was like, it was like, Fet, Claudio, Jesus, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, but, but you know what? That's where, that's where the best story comes from. That, that, you know, from a professional journalist point of view and professional cameraman, it, it's them extreme situations that if you get that footage, that's the winner. That's the one that's in the bag that you're going to bring home and, and add to the to the documentary. And that's the piece that's going to be shown, you know, on the news and on the TV and whatever. Like, and so, so I get that. So I was I was always in betwixt between feeling relatively comfortable because we had, you know, we had Kay and Moran. And, and Claudio is well connected, and at the same time feeling a little bit, oh, we're right on the edge here. We are, we are on the on the raggedy edge of safety here. But you know what underpins all of that is that kind of little bit of a buzz that you get. You know that that kind of little bit of excitement of being. I suppose if you want to think of some like you know some of the big uh, motorcycle dudes like Jarvis or mm -hmm. you know. It, People who, who will go to the edge, whether it's a big jump or whether it's, a, you know, a high speed uh, rally or race or whatever. And, 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 you know, they're getting that buzz from 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 racing that bike, that enduro bike or whatever, or, or that circuit. Whereas maybe maybe I think perhaps I get I get or maybe and Claudio does that. We get like a little bit of a buzz of getting it close to the edge, you know. Of you know you're in danger. You're in Iraq for God's sake. You're a white guy with white hair. Uh, you you stand out like a 
like a sore thumb. You're in a war zone. You you know, ISIS would love you. I mean, they would just love you. You're just a present to them. You know, you were absolutely on a tray. And and there's a certain excitement about being in a in a I think in a in a in a controlled but dangerous situation. So it's not like you just parachuted into the middle of Mosul. You know, you, you, you've made some uh, decisions and some planning and some choices, you know, that are that are all mitigating your your safety. You know, you're, you're not completely I'm not saying like just drop in the middle of Afghanistan or whatever and and just see what happens. So I'm not completely stupid, but uh, but yeah, I think there's a thrill. There's a thrill there. I mean, when we were in, when we were outside Mosul and we could see the helicopters and the gunfire and and and, and the bombs, it was. I'm, I'm not. I know it's terrible in some respects, but it was it was exciting, you know. Yeah. You no, I get it. I get it. Well, it's that that kind of. Uh... It's that same line of uh, the the times where you feel most alive are the ones where you're near you nearly die. Do you know? And then yeah. if you can just get like the the best balance of that excitement is always when you're you get a little taste of it. You know it was sketchy, but it wasn't so sketchy. You were like, whoa, too much. Do you know? Yeah, like skydiving, sure. it's basically sure. like the equivalent of skydiving, right? Like, but you, it's controlled, yeah. but it's sketchy. Like you just jumped out of a plane, and it's the equivalent thing. Uh, yeah, and I think on some level, most of us are, are are into that. It's just where your reference point is. And clearly like yours and especially Claudio's reference point is, well, Claudio's is clearly Bin Laden is like the peak. <laughs> Do you know, yeah. sat, in a, sat in a cave in a mountain in Afghanistan is the peak point and everything from there down seems a bit easy. So, yeah. So you, but, but you know, you, you could even, you could even, you know, I've just done that gig. Uh, in, I've been in Saudi Arabia for the last, uh, at seven weeks or something and, and only only back recently this last uh, week and a half or whatever and and i was there with with david knight and doing the dakar rally forget saudi arabia for a minute we, we can come back to that in a minute you know for the for the issues that are clearly involved in in in, in being in that country but the dakar rally is 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 another good example and and you've been there and you've done it and you know that when you're at when you decide to do the dakar rally you are not just doing your weekend enduro or even your, your scottish six-day trial you're doing the dakar rally and the dakar rally kills people you know, and, and, and so when you go out and do the Dakar rally, you are taken on board that level of danger, that level of risk that you've already decided to take on board. You've already decided to to say, you know what, I've signed up for it and, and I'm going to do it now. And it's a, it could be a bit scary. Uh, forget the the the, uh, the challenge of it in, in the fact that it's a hard gig and it's knackering and you're waking up at, you know, 3.30 most mornings and you're starting at 4 and 4, 4.30 a.m. People, you know, a lot of punters out there don't realize that the Dakar Rally is, is not just the endurance of a Dakar Rally. The Dakar Rally is, is designed to wear you out by making you just specifically for the bikers by making you get up at half past three in the morning every morning and you know it's, it's a wear and tear you you are absolutely on your on your wits end a lot of ordinary uh, spectators who maybe not dialed into the dakar don't realize that that's part of the whole gig but that is a dangerous rally and if you decide i want to do it that's danger level one and if you decide i want to come in the top 30 let's say that's danger level two but if you want to, if you want to think like a David Knight, 
and think, I really probably should be going for a top 10. Well, seriously, that is that is putting, you know, it's like being in a room. This is my view, of course, and lots of you, by all means, can jump in and disagree with me. But that's like taking all of your chips and looking at the, you know, at the roulette wheel and thinking, right, I'm not putting them all on, but I'm going to put 80 percent of my chips on red and I'm and I'm going for it. I'm going for top 10 because, you know, that 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 20 percent that you could lose, you could you could probably or possibly die because, you know, them guys, you know, the, the, the Tobies and, 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 you know, and the others, they're doing like 180 kilometers an hour on, on, on sand and gravel with, with not knowing what's happening up ahead. And, you know, you, to actually get in the top 10 of the Dakar rally is a bit like deciding to go, <laughs> deciding to go to Iraq or go to Afghanistan and really, really put your name out there and put your, put your body out there because it is risky. And, 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 and I'm not comparing what I've done, by the way, just in case anyone jumps in and says, oh, <laughs> But I am sort of comparing that kind of that kind of excitement and that kind of uh, dilemma and that kind of gamble where you decide this is what I want to do. I get a buzz out of it. I think it's exciting. I want to go through this Mozambique road, uh, you know, without the military convoy or I want to go through the marketplace in Afghanistan where we've been told we could be, you know, we could be involved in, in, in an incident because it's exciting and gives you this kind of a buzz like, you know, and. And, and yeah, and you touched on it before. It's, it's, it's about doing things outside of your comfort zone and getting a bit of a buzz out of it. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. I don't think that is like a, you, you know, you, you, you try to kind of shy away from your own comparison there and not put yourself in that box. But for me, it is the same. Like, you, you know, it, it's not something that I'd recommend anyone off the, off the street, just get in a plane and go to Afghanistan or uh, and have a wander around and see what happens like you you have to have some semblance of how to look after yourself in those scenarios you have to have like some awareness of just what's going on in general to be safe ish there and you mitigate as much risk as you can without stifling yourself like you touched on it in that when you went to El Salvador that if you stifle it too much you, you actually make the experience not worth having and you could probably Correct. make yourself a little bit more dangerous, but the Dakar is the same, right? Like you, you, you just go through a process of, of doing as much risk mitigation as you can to achieve your goal. You make it as safe as you can. You ride lots, you make yourself as fit as you can be. You make sure that you're good enough and, and then you try. Um, and, and I think it's probably the same sort of process, right? It's not your first time in a sketchy scenario. So it yeah. you kind of, it, it's within your realm of possibility. I think one of the yeah. things that really interests me about this and, whole story is... And, and your control. Mm, yeah, you exactly. Know, what, what, is within your, what is within your control and how, how flexible are you to let certain things be out of your control? So if you said to Sam Sunderland or Toby Price, guys, let's, I've got this great idea. We're going we're gonna to drop into Baghdad and we're going to pick up some bikes. We're going to ride from Baghdad north. We're going to go to the Iranian border and then we're going to go west to Mosul and we're going to, you know, uh, sort of witness the final the final battle of ISIS. What do you reckon, guys? <laughs> and I, I pretty much know what the answer They'd would be. probably tell you to get stuffed, if I'm honest. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think one of the interesting things that you, you kind of glossed over it a little bit there. 
but when you when you went to Iraq, it it was still an active war zone. Like you were, is is that something that you were very much aware of when you were on the ground? Did you see that around you, or uh, when you're traveling across the across the region, was it it just not there? And then there was kind of just remnants of what had happened. No, no. I mean, uh, well, well, firstly, we couldn't get insurance, so you couldn't get any travel insurance to go to a war zone. So, so that that was that was the first thing that gives you the clue of wow, you know. And we did originally, and when I say we, it was it was me more than Claudio. I, I, I've done a little bit of uh, bits and pieces of work with with a couple of security companies who uh, who deal in and work in uh, difficult, challenging areas around the globe. So I gave them a bell and said, "Look, I've got this gig." We're going to go to uh, to Iraq. We're going to ride uh, from east to west, and we're going to, you know, finish in in Mosul and and film some of the issues that are going on there. And 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 they got involved a little bit and said, look, we, we can support you there because we've got some people on the ground there. We've got some intel. We can we can back you up if if you needed to be extracted. And I said, wow, that that's really really cool. And 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 that, that made me feel. Uh, they weren't going to get involved in a direct way, but they were going to be there in the background. And 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 Claudio really didn't care. But but for me, that made me feel a little bit more of a comfort blanket. And anyway, about a week before we <laughs> a week before we were going flying, uh, they rang me and said, uh, "Look, we've got a major issue in Nigeria, and we've had to send all of our personnel uh, to Nigeria. Uh, there's a big." big issue going on uh, and so we've got no one in northern Iraq so we, we can't back you up we can't help you we can't support you in any way really and and it was a week before we were going and I was like Jesus I mean you know I, I felt really like let down to be honest and, and a little bit scared to be honest because they gave me this little bit of a comfort feeling that all right so this, they've got feet on the ground they've got intel that they've got they've got you know, they've got armed personnel there, like, you know, as a security, uh, like, business. And uh, and so they said, look, what we can do, we'll meet you at the airport in Heathrow when you're flying out to, you know, to Iraq, and we can give you a bit of a debrief uh, or a bit of a briefing, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch with you while you're out there and maybe use our network of, of friends out there if you get in trouble. And I thought, oh, well, okay, that, that helps. Like, so they literally met us at the airport, like these two uh, SAS guys, uh, <laughs> which was quite funny. Like, sort of, they said, look, we've got this idea. We've got MapMe. If you use MapMe, and I went, uh, yeah, I've used MapMe in in in, uh, in Mozambique. So what we're going to do, we're going to give you, we want you to download MapMe, and then each day, we each morning, when you where you, you want you to send a pin of where you are. And where your destination is and then each evening send us a pin that you've arrived and i said okay yeah got that got that and and then uh, i said so what if i don't arrive what you know what if right well uh well we'll, we'll see what we we'll, we'll pull in our network and see whether we can find you and i went oh god it was like it was like it made me more and you could see Claudio was thinking, what the fuck? You know, Claudio is like, let's just fucking go. Like, you know, and, and we'll go anyway. I mean, we're at the airport, for God's sake. And and and, and it was sort of useless. I mean, I, the idea was exciting. With the idea was was helpful. But then they couldn't come because, they, you know, they work they work in, in you know, uh, uh, pirate 
sea pirate marine pirates stuff and things like that and they, they've only got so many personnel and they had some in iraq and then they weren't and and so basically we were on our own and 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 i did for the first few days text them you know my, my map uh location and then i thought oh fuck it you know it's just just get on with it you know and and uh yeah, so it, 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 was, it, was, it was pretty cool. And the, 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 the worst stress that I had uh, with the whole Iraq trip, the whole Iraqi Kurdistan trip, uh, which, by the way, just to underline, and I'll come back to it hopefully, but Kurdistan is amazing and beautiful and stunning. And the people are just incredible. And friendly is not a word. Friendly is, is not a strong enough word to say to talk about these people. So let's just, you know, we'll come back to that, but park, park that up. My, my worst nightmare was we're flying into Iraq in the middle of the night, and, and everyone had said to me, the problem with landing in a war zone in the dark is that it's a lot safer to land in, in, in the daytime because what happens is you're, you're an easy target for uh, ground-to-air missiles. And, and and I must admit that did trigger a little bit of, you know, a little bit of fucking hell. Hey, what am I doing here? Like, you know, and, and then we're just coming into land and then Claudio leans across to me and says, uh, you know, he's from Switzerland and he has this kind of a low, a low. Uh, you remember that <laughs> yeah, he does. Show? Yeah, he totally uh, does. For any of our non-British uh, <laughs> listeners, a low, a low was a, a TV show from what the 1970s yeah about the french resistance yeah. and, and the british you know and and it, it's all a caricature of it all of course but mm -hmm. so all of the french people there they speak english but in in a in a in a, french. Uh, in a caricature french accent yeah. like you know and, but claudio does in fact speak like that you know that is his so he leans across to me we're sitting next to each other on the plane and I'm feeling a, a little bit nervous anyway about the whole gig. But he needs to go and says, Billy, if there's any uh, problems at the airport when we land, I think it's probably best if we split up and I meet you in Iraq in three days. And I went, whoa, whoa, what, what, where did that come from? Like, we're literally like 40 minutes before touchdown landing. And I said, what do you mean? Why should there be trouble at the airport? He said, well, you know, the, 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 sometimes there's trouble at the airport and it's probably best if we split up and uh, and we meet at the hotel in three days. And I went, Claudio, Claudio, I don't even know the name of the hotel. I don't know the name of the fixer. I don't know anything. What You can't just say, we've only got half an hour left. What do you mean? And he said, the name of the hotel is Hakta Haktaha. I went, what? Cla Claudio, Hakta Haktaha, Billy. I meet you in Hakta Haktaha. I went, Claudio, I can't even say that. Never mind, fuck it. I can't write it down. I, I, I can't meet you there. I mean, Claudio, what is going on? Okay, okay, I tell you, I tell you. I'm smuggling something into Iraq. I went, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? You're smuggling something half an hour before we land. What are you smuggling? Uh, it's probably best you don't know. So when they interview you, you can't say. I went, Oh no! You know, and my whole worry, the whole time was ISIS, right? Every from the beginning of yeah, let's go was ISIS beheadings. You know, the whole torture thing, being burnt alive, and and now my whole focus was being arrested in Iraq for for for, for being you know a spy, and 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 never mind ISIS. I am now in prison in Iraq, 
like for three, four, five years because Claudio is smuggling something into Iraq. And, and he wouldn't tell me. And we, we literally touched down. And I said, Claudio, you have to tell me this is not fair. You have to tell me what, what are you smuggling? He said, Billy, it's nothing. It's nothing. What are you smuggling, Claudio? I need to know. He said, OK, OK, I'm smuggling a drone. It's a drone. Drones are illegal. You cannot bring drones into a war zone. And I have got a military drone. And so it's highly illegal. And if we get caught, we will be done as spies. And I went, oh, no, that is what I thought. I knew we were going to be a spy thing. I knew that was where we were going. And he, he just said, don't worry. They will never find it. It's in the bottom of my big bag. They will never find it. And it, I, because th th there's something quite, uh, what's the thing? There's something quite innocent about Claudio. And to me, smuggling a drone, it's, it's a bit like arriving back. You know, you, you've just been to Ibiza and you're flying back into, you know, Heathrow. And your mate says, don't worry, Billy. I've hidden that ha the, the cannabis in your training shoes in your bag. They'll never find it. You know, yeah. clearly... They are going to feckin' find it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's what I felt like. And we had minutes, literally minutes. And we landed it, it, at the airport and I was really pissed off with him because he should have, I felt like he should have told me about that beforehand. You know, we could be sitting in a cell in two years' time, me blaming him still. Like, you know, why did you not tell me? Like, in, and uh, and we're, walking, we're walking through towards the passport control and, and I'm thinking, actually... I think we're, we're all right. You know, we've got a military dr drone. We're going to be able to get great footage. We haven't been caught. And they, they would have been onto us by now. And we literally get to the passport control. And then the tannoy in the airport goes. And by the way, this airport is not like a holiday airport where lots of people walking up and down with sombreros and kiss me quick hats on holiday. This is like an airport that is full of military. And whether they're mercenaries whether the iraqi army whether the coalition forces there's no one there who isn't involved in the war and then there's me and claudio like we've got this white-haired skinny scouser who you know looks bizarre and we've got this like weird swiss guy who speaks with a comic accent i mean it was like you know we, we just stood out like a sore thumb it was like incredible and then just as we got to the passport control the tannoy goes Mr. Claudio von Planta, which we all knew without having any Arabic knowledge was you are fucked, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and that was it. A guy came out with a machine gun and said, uh, Mr. von Planta. And, and Claudio said, yes, he says, please come with me. And they took him away. And, and I was left on my own. I didn't know the hotel, didn't know the fixer, didn't know didn't know anything really and i was thinking oh my god shit what the fuck and and then as they walked him away i was staring at them taking him away and then the guard turned around and said hey you are, are you together hey you and i went oh me no no so, sorry no 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 we're not together no sorry no no and i just turned away and walked towards the passport queue and so i not only had they taken him away, but I disowned him. And, you know, I felt really guilty about just leaving him. And, and they took him away. And, and I got to passport control. And I, I thought, you know what? This is like, save yourself, Billy. This is, you know, there's nothing I can do. He's, he's been taken away. He's caught for doing the drone thing. And at least 
I'll get through the airport. And that was my, my position. And I gave my passport to the passport control and he starts going through the the, the passport and he goes, uh, oh, Mozambique, El Salvador, Morocco. Uh, you've been many places, Mr. Ward. And I said, yes, yes, many places, many places, uh, sir. <laughs> I'm really creeping now, like many places. And he goes, oh, I've looked through. Yes, you've been all over the world. I said, yes, yes, I, I have a lot of travel. So what brings you to uh, Iraq? And I, and me and Ch me and Claudia had already agreed that our stance was we're on holiday. So he goes, <laughs> yeah. I, I, what? I mean, this was Claudio's idea. Like, uh, you know, what brings you to Iraq? And I said, uh, I'm uh, I'm on on holiday. You're on holiday. You you know you've landed in a war zone. I said, yes, yes, I I, I do. I, I like challenging holidays. And he went, okay. So uh, you have family here? I said, no. No, no family. You have you have friends here. No, 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 no friends here. Who are you traveling with? Uh, I, I'm I'm traveling alone. Oh, so let me see, Mr. Ward. You're you're on holiday in a war zone, traveling alone. I said, Yep, that's uh, <laughs> that's about that's about the story, and uh, and he must have pressed the button or something under the under the table because. Literally two minutes later, two guys come out with machine guns and say, Mr. Ward. And I said, yes, please come, come with us. And they took me away. And I went, oh, Jesus. And, and you know who has uh, just been uh, recently been elected was Boris Johnson. And I and, you know, we had the I had the British embassy in my phone. And and, uh, you know, I thought, shit, you know, this is I'm now going to be arrested for spying in Iraq. Like forget ISIS, that's all gone. And the only person who's going to come and negotiate my my release was uh, was Boris Johnson, and 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 that was absolute bollocks. Like you know that you know that I think the last time Boris went, he went to Iran to help that poor that poor woman who had been uh, you know incarcerated for I think ten years for alleged spying and he went and when when he finishes negotiations they added five more years to his <laughs> sentence I, I, that's, that's, is that a true story that's a true story no absolutely true story did you, you see know, that you, you, i'm sure you, you saw it there was a, a clip going around of uh of boris johnson insulting other politicians at a, a hearing the other day and it was um yeah i can understand why he uh why that happened <laughs> Yeah, okay, sure. Anything. Sure, and and all that was in my head. You know, this is this is who's going to save me, and my life's over now. And and uh, don't get me wrong, I'm laughing about it now. But you know, I'm 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 fine to say I was I was pretty scared. Like you know, I was you know pretty anxious. <laughs> and and they took me, of course, into the same room where they were interviewing Mr. Claudio. And I went in there, and Claudio looked up and went. No way, Billy Ward, how amazing, how are you, how are you? And he got up and he leaned across and he shook my hand, you know, pretending that it was just a coincidence that we weren't traveling together, <laughs> like we were sat next to each other, for Christ's sake. And Claudius go, oh, amazing to see you, what are you doing here? Oh, it's so cool. And and the, all the, the, the Iraqi army people, they were looking at me as if to say, yeah, yeah, come on, for fuck's sake, dude. And and on the table, of course, was the drone. The drone is sitting on the table. 
Yeah, and they're all playing with it. They're all on on the table like it was like bizarre. And uh, yeah, I just thought, well, fuck's sake, we're fucked. Like you know, we are fucked. The whole you know, and this is day one. In fact, it's not even day one. It's not even a day. Like we've, it's all gone to shit before we even arrived. Like really, and uh, and then out of the blue. We're in uh, we're in this like office with like uh, glass windows uh, all, all around. All the walls are sort of made of glass, and they could see out. And I see this guy like marching, like heavily marching across the airport floor. And he gets to the security, and he pushes them out of the way. These are all armed, by the way, machine guns and everything. And he pushes them out of the way, and he steams his way down the corridor into our room. And I'm thinking, wow, this is the this is the interrogator guy. This is the guy who's going to like force me to to tell them that I'm a, I'm a CIA MI5 agent, and you know I'm going to admit to it all, and you know, or even worse, he's an American interrogator, and he's he's going to waterboard me, and I'll just uh, admit to everything, like you know, and and he comes in and he literally steams into the office and he starts bollocking everyone, like literally bollocking everyone, telling them, you know telling them off you could tell in his demeanor and finally he was talking local language but clearly he was bollocking them all next minute the, the guy who was interviewing me says uh billy you would like a would you like to drink a coca-cola you like coca-cola you want coca-cola and he brings me a coca-cola claudio gets a coca-cola he says get a passport give me your passport takes my passport takes claudio's passport take, takes it away three minutes not even five minutes three minutes later passports arrive all stamped visa everything sorted out we are so sorry we are so sorry my friend we all we hope you enjoy your time here in iraq please enjoy enjoy and and we were out that was it we were the fixer claudio had texted the fixer and said we're in trouble come and get us and this fixer and you know what i've learned about the middle east and you know not just in iraq but when i've been you know when i've been in in Afghanistan, when I've been in, in, in Saudi and in Bahrain and all these places, it's not about what the rules or the laws are. It's about who you know. And if you know the right people, you are just you're you're you're, you're just going to be fixed. You're just going to be fine. You're, everything's going to be cool. And and that was Miran, Miran and uh, and Kay. And they came in and they sorted it all out and we got the drone and everything was cool. And, and you know, we never looked back from, from then on. Everything was just fantastic, you know. So that is a pretty incredible story. <laughs> so you touched on it before about what it was actually like to be there, that the people were amazing, the scenery was amazing. So what what was it like? What was so special about that trip in Iraq and why do you have so much fondness for it? Uh, I, well, I, I think that it doesn't matter where you go in the world, whether you're traveling across Africa, like I've done many, many, many times, uh, either solo or, or, or with, with a group or with friends or with Charlie, that the people are always the key to everything. The people are always the key. And, 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 and I've touched on it earlier on, but people are just human beings like me and you. The only difference is where they are and the context of where they are. And, and so ki the, the kids were, so I, I did a little bit of reading before we went. I, and by the way, my, my uh, time that I had to sort of, when me and Claudio got drunk one night in London and Claudio said, let's go to Iraq. And I said, let's do it. And two weeks later we were in Iraq. So I had very limited time to study or to think or to plan. 
But I did read a book called A Line in the Sand. And it's all about the history of the Middle East and how post-First World War, the, how the Middle East become what it is. Like, you know, we've all been brought up, both you, who, who you know, you're, you're half my age. You and me have sort of been brought up on negative news in the Middle East, whether it's a, whether it's Israel, whether it's Palestine, you know, whether it's Iraq, whether it's Syria. But what this book, Alana de Sand, does, it tells you about how the Middle East got carved up. And I use that butcher term because that's in, exactly what it was. Post-World War One, the Brits, the French carved up the Middle East for their own desires, you know, and, and that desire basically is oil. So, you know, the world revolves around power, money and oil. And, 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 and I've learned that as a 63 year old, uh, I've learned that that's how the world works. That's how America works. That's how the UK works. That's how all of the, the top tier players work. It's about money, power and oil. And, and, and when you read about the Middle East and you learn about how it was literally carved up, you know, they literally drew a line in the sand and said, all right, John, you have that side. And uh, uh, Michelle, you can have this side. You know, it's it's literally about where can we get the oil from? How can we get the oil to the Mediterranean? How can we get the, the power of the oil? And and when you read about it, you, you, you start to realize, feck me, all of these ordinary people, ordinary people who've got their own culture, their own lives, their own children, their own job to do, whether it's whether whether they're you know a plumber or whether they're a car mechanic, and all of a sudden they've just been told that now you're this or now you're that because of wh which side of the line that you actually fall upon, and then you mix into that the, the history of of religion, you know, in, in, into that mix, and what you've got is basically a pretty, in my view, and again <laughs> I'm open for argument. But in my view, the history of religion and 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 politics, it, it just set the whole storyline for the Middle East forever, you know. And uh, and so, you know, you, you get there and, and then all of a sudden you put all of that politics and, and, the, and the religion to one side and you meet this man, woman, family. And they say, we're so happy to meet you and we're so happy to hear about who you are and where you're from and why you're here. And we really want to share uh, our food with you. And, and, and you're in someone's house in northern Iraq, in Kurdistan, and, and this, they're, they're giving you food. They're giving you the best food that they've got. They're giving you the best wine that they've got in the house. And, and they just look after you and you think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm getting so looked after here and I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just some white guy from, from England, Ireland, from East, you know, from Western Europe. And, and again and again and again, everywhere we went, people looked after you. People wanted you to have a good time, wanted you to understand their, their predicament. And all the time I was looking at them as people who were living in a really challenging scenario, a really challenging life where bombs were going off. Car bombs were going off. Uh, uh, ISIS killings were, were, were taking place. Beheadings. You know, we, we, we went into a village one day with this lovely old gentleman, probably, you know, 67, 70, maybe 70 years of age, walked out and asked me uh, in English, what, what, are, what are you doing? 
why why are you in my village and i said well i said i, I i'm just uh, i was on my bike i said I, i'm just uh, riding through uh, looking to find uh, find out about how people live here and what it's like to live here and the village looks you know i looked on the map and the village looked lovely and and now i'm here and, and it's bombed the whole village was flat was flattened completely flattened i mean hardly literally half a dozen buildings were upright the rest were flat you know or all bombed uh, and uh, and he said this is my village my village is was wonderful my 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 friends many of my friends are are, are dead and i was oh i said i said i'm i'm really i'm really sorry to hear that he said would you like to uh, eat with me and drink and i said yes and and that would, that would be lovely and and he made tea and he brought the tea out and he brought beautiful food out stunning food lovely uh, fresh uh, uh, fruits all and and he had two or three uh, sons of his young sons coming out saving and everything this is an ordinary man and then i said uh, so where's the rest of your family and he said uh, i have two two uh, grown up sons uh, and they're not here now and i said I said, so, so where are they? Are they waking away? Which is, you know, a regular thing around the world where the sons go away to, to earn money. And he said, no, no. They, when ISIS came to the village, they took my sons into the village square and they beheaded them. And I, and I was, I'm sitting there eating with him, like, you know, eating rice and fresh fruit and beautiful bread. And I said, wow. I said, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. that that must be so hard," he said. I, I said, "So, w when when did this happen?" And in my head, I was thinking, you know, two years ago, three years ago. He said, uh, "About eight eight weeks, two months ago." And I went, "Oh my God, that is that is, what well, I'm I'm so sorry. What what can I say? I, I, my my heart is broken for you." And he said, "No, no, no matter. I have my other sons, and these are the kids who were young young lads who were saving us with the food and." And it just blew me away. I mean, yeah, I, I'm worried about, you know, whether I can pay the next payment on my van or, or you know, you know, like small things about the weeds growing in the garden, in my house, you know, outside in the back of my house. And, and here's this poor man who's lost two sons, like, and not only lost them, but beheaded in, you know, in his own village by ISIS. And, and oh, it was... It, it was a privilege to spend time with him. He was a, a Kurdish, a Kurdish man, and he told me about his past. In the past, he was in in the Peshmerga army, and uh, and you know he, he he's fought for for independence in in Kurdistan. And and poor Kurdistan, they've had such a bad rap. You know, not only did ISIS come and 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 invade them, like when ISIS invaded in I think 2014, and and they 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 basically raped northern Iraq. They 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 took. Uh, hundreds if not thousands of women prisoner as sex slaves they they killed many many thousands of them and they bartered many of them into into a, a sex slave economy i mean you know the, the kids have had a, a hard hard time and they've been promised again and again by the west by the brits and by the americans that we will support you you know we will support you and again and again and again they, they've been let down I, I, even back in, in 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 the bush era bush uh, basically gave them uh, gave the Kurds uh, the uh, the green light to to fight against uh, uh, you know against the government Saddam Hussein 
fight against Saddam Hussein. We'll supply you with arms. We'll supply you with, you know, under the radar troops to, to, to you know, probably, you know, special forces. And this is your time. This is your time to break away from Iraq, fight against Saddam Hussein. <clears throat> and and so the kids stood up, fought against Saddam Hussein, and then Saddam hammered them, hammered them with chemical weapons and, and destroyed them. And and what did the West do? The West wrote articles in the Sunday Times and in the New York Times about how terrible it was, but they didn't do anything. And And that story is is the history of the kids the kids have tried to break away from saddam hussein for many many years and been promised lots and lots of things by 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 bush by you know by the brits uh, even by trump and then if you if you cast your mind back just a couple of years ago trump removed the troops from northern iraq and they've been let down again and again and again and 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 when you you know for the average joe in the street you don't even know who the kids are but then when you go and visit Iraq and you you head north and you come across this this organization this this country called Kurdistan and you meet the people and the friendliness of them and the culture and you think wow how how could this ever happen but, but hey you know when you've traveled the world a bit you realize that this happens all over the world and it's it's nothing new but it was an incredible privilege for me uh, and uh, you know I would love to go back now you know post post Mosul post ISIS don't get me wrong, ISIS are still there. They, they, they were there in, in, in you know, in, in Saudi Arabia, where I've been recently. They're, 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 they're much more than a group of people. They're, 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 a, they're, they're an ideology, you know. And But I would love to go back. And if Claudio was up for it, I would love to go back to, uh, you know, to, to Iraq and head to up to Kurdistan and, and find out how things have been since since Mosul, you know. And so, anyway, but I'm, this documentary wasn't... Bit, Sorry, go on. No, I'm, I'm just saying I'm rabbiting on a bit there. No, then, so. it's fascinating. Honestly, it's fa this documentary w wasn't that long ago, though. Like you, you published it in 2018. Is that yeah. correct? So, yeah, yeah. So this, it's not like, you know, we're, we're almost talking about it there like a, like it's a dramatically different scenario to what it was. But it, it really was. It, this is like brand new history. This is only a few years ago. And, and it's kind of yeah. fascinating to me that it, it's still at that level and it, it still envelops people's lives so much and yet they're so open and they're so friendly still. Do you know that it would be so easy with the the exposure that people in that scenario, I'm sure it's the same in Afghanistan, I'm sure they've been through similar experiences, for them to reject the the presence of anyone that's from our part of the world. You, it would be a perfectly reasonable uh, process to go through, like m emotionally and mentally, but for them to still be so open to you and for the, the people in general to be so nice and the place to be so uh, welcoming and enjoyable to visit is, is yeah, a, it's a really heartwarming sure. story. Do you know? No, for sure. And, and you know, we were with some Iraqis uh, who, who invited us to their home and we ate with them. And they were so supportive and welcoming. And literally, just a handful of years previous, we were at, officially at war with Iraq. You know, the, the British government, the Western Alliance, was at war with Iraq. We bombed. We bombed the cities that I were in. We, we bombed the cities that I, I, I broke bread with, with local people. We bombed them cities. We, we, we went to a village. We went to a village up in the north. 
and uh, I, I, I'm living in Ireland uh, these days in in in, uh, in a beautiful part of Ireland, and and lots of villages around here. You might have a not a village, but more of a small town around here. You might go in, and the same for the UK. You go into the town, and in the village square or the town square, there's a monument. And the monument might be a man on a horse, or you know, sort of so, some sort of monument of history gone past. And we went to this village in in Iraq, and in the village square there was a big monument, and at the top of the monument was a bomb, a fucking big bomb. That was that was the village monument, a big, massive bomb, about eight foot long. Uh, on a plinth and it wasn't a sculptured bomb it was a real bomb it was a bomb that didn't go off that was disarmed and that was in their village and i said to the uh, when we rode into that village all of the kids came out because that was the that, that that's the great thing about motorcycles you know you go anywhere in the world on a motorcycle and you will attract attention attention and you will attract sympathy people want to know why the feck are you here on that motorbike and what is the motorbike and where did you come from and and we went in and all the kids came out like sort of one by one and two by two because they're all a bit scared. And then we were all friendly with them. And then their parents came out and then the village elders came out. And I said, you know, I said, it's fantastic to be here. And they brought drinks out. We had fruit, fruit drinks, local fruit drinks. And we're having a really lovely time. And uh, I said, why, why is, why do you have a bomb <laughs> as, your, as your monument in the village? And, and he was surprised at my question. He was literally surprised. I mean, he said, well, that is our history. We, we have been bombed and bombed and bombed again. And, you know, and, and this particular bomb was a chemical weapon bomb from Saddam Hussein. And, and we put this bomb in the village to remind us all, those who were alive, that we survived, you know, and, and, and we're here and, and, and life is going on and we we've got cattle and we've got goats and we've got sheep and 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 life is to be lived and we you know and it was so humbling i mean you know i was thinking wow i mean that is and the kids were playing on the bomb the kids were climbing up the mountain once i made a fuss about the bomb they were climbing up sitting on the bomb and we taking pictures of them sitting on the bomb and yeah and it was sort of surreal really and but it really hum made me feel so humble like it it, it really did and and you know, we spoke to spoke to other people in, in in not up in Kyrgyzstan, but down in Iraq itself, where they were so excited to see us. And one guy we met, uh, who he had some motorcycles he wanted to show us. And we went back to his his house, a, a, quite a nice house. And in the garage, he had he had a, a Norton, he had he had a, a BSA, he had he had he had a, an old Harley Davidson, all like you know 1940s, 1950s. And I was saying, wow, and they were gorgeous. And you know how, how he built them or how he reclaimed them was by giving money to American soldiers and British soldiers in the Iraqi war and asking them, look, there's, uh, there's 50 pounds or $100. Please, can you bring me back a, a 1959 Norton Carburetta? Because I'm building a bike. And this soldier, you know, all on trust, he'd go home on leave. And he'd come back with this uh, Norton 1959 carburetor and uh, I'd give him his change. And then, and then you know, the, the next time he would need a wheel or he would need a fuel tank or whatever. And bit by bit, he developed this, uh, this collection that he's got. He had about six beautiful bikes. And we were at war with them like several years before. And it was through the war that he 
built this collection of motorcycles. It was incredible. I mean, you know, travel, you know, it's a cliche, but it's a real fact. People talk about the cliche of travel opens up your horizons. It opens up your intellect to the world. And it is so, so cool. I mean, you just you just learn different perspectives. And, you know, I, I reckon if you were, you know, if you were a little bit on the racist side, just a little tad racist, if you did a little bit of travel, you'd probably be less racist because you would realize that racism <laughs> is just a, is a load of bollocks and, and that the people that you meet that you didn't like, that when you meet them, when you travel, they're just the same as you and your granny you know, and your and, 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 and your auntie Vera and your uncle John, they're all the feckin' same. You Absolutely. Know? Without a doubt. So where can people see your film? Both the one in Kurdistan and the one in Afghanistan? Well, uh, the, the key one to go and look at is uh, is Billy and Claudio TV billyandclaudio.tv so from there that will take you to uh, Vimeo our Vimeo site where you can see that that film uh, uh, is that, that's Vimeo on demand is it so that's Vimeo on demand I think it's like I think it's like two 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 ninety nine to watch it you know or one dollar fifty or something bollocks like that because you know when we when 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 Sky wanted that sky were going to do a proper big edit on it like you know we're all big guns blazing and and then sky offered us uh, another gig into well in, in fact in the meeting i wasn't prepared for this i thought we had six weeks worth of of episodes i thought on our iraqi gig i thought we've got easily five five six weeks worth of you know episodes and and in in sky brought me down to london for the big meeting about we love it so much we want it we're going to buy it and we want more and claudio was away in australia doing uh, this really cool uh, wingman uh, documentary that he got involved in uh, yeah anyway so claudio said i said claudio i don't like going to the sky meeting on my own I, I'm, I'm worried about saying yes to things that you know that you might not agree with and you know, because Claudio is, you know, he has a he has a strong political uh, uh, body within him, like you know. Then, and, and and Claudio said, "Billy, please, when you go to the meeting, just say yes to everything. Say yes to anything they say. Keep saying yes. Let's get the money. Let's do the next gig." And I went, "Oh, awesome. Okay, okay. That's that's sort of where I was coming from. Like so, so in the middle of the uh, meeting, they said, Billy." We, we love it and we're going to buy it. We're going to pay you for it and we're going to uh, edit it and we're going to publish it. But what we're after now is, what's episode two? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> hold on a minute. Episode two? I thought we had like fucking hundreds of hours with the footage like, and we did. And I said, episode two, but at the same time, I didn't want to look like a dick, like, you know? So I sort of went... Oh, uh, of course, episode two. Yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, and I'm thinking, 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 thinking. What the fuck? And I went. Episode two is uh, Nigeria. So the plan is we're going to go to Nigeria and ride and try and find Boko Haram. And Boko Haram stole what 300 children from a school. What the fuck happened to them children? That's what we're going to do. That's episode two. And they went. 
oh billy yeah we we love it we love that is so cool we uh, and episode three i went episode three uh yes of course episode three is uh well uh el salvador in 2007 was the kidnap capital of the world we're going to go back and find out what went wrong because now they're the tenth in the world for the kidnap capital so what went wrong el salvador and they said billy oh this is we're just loving this loving this Episode four, and I'm thinking, oh my god! Uh, uh, episode four is my, you know, the, the, my own suicide. I mean, I didn't know what else I could give them. I was just running out of fucking ideas. It was bizarre, and they were they were loving it. And I think episode four, I came up with Mexico, like you know, it is Mexico, is the drug baron game in Mexico as bad as what we're told? I think I think I came up with that, and. And that's where we left it. And uh, I was so excited that, you know, that they were up for it. And, you know, th- th- I can I can forward you the uh, the clip that they edited. They edited a lovely little clip for the Iraqi show when they were on board. And uh, and I'll send you that. It's only a two minute clip, but it's a really cool little clip. And it does it does encapsulate some of the excitement. But it's done in a very sky professional way. And uh and, and and as I said earlier on, sadly, sadly, we went from, you know, from such a feast of we love you so much, Billy, you're, you know, you're the next Elvis to where uh, they just disappeared and moved to America and they started taking on board new projects and we've never heard from them since. So that's the sad ending. Well, at least you got to have that experience, Billy. It's been a wonderful, uh, wonderful hour and 15 minute conversation with you. Uh, what an insightful, insightful experience you had there. Um, to finish off uh, the podcast, I also like to give people the opportunity to tell those that are seeing this where they can find you else in the world, what you're doing, what your social media is, and so on. So really really cool thank you very much uh, i hope you edit a fair bit of this out because i don't want to bore the feck out of people for an hour and 15 minutes but uh, uh bike is my uh, my website uh, just a bit of a, a who am i kind of a website uh, i've just come back from saudi arabia six weeks in saudi arabia and bahrain in a reasonably challenging situation following the dakar rally with the uh, the amazing David Knight. So look out for that. If you Google just them, uh, them, them keywords, you'll find information about that. There's a documentary in the making there that we're working on at the moment. Uh, I run trips across Morocco uh, every May for the whole of May. Uh, I'm at Bike Truck on Twitter and at Facebook and Instagram at Bike Truck, and uh, also do incredible trips in Southern Africa from Cape Town right through Botswana, Namibia, uh, uh, right up into Zimbabwe and, and Zambia. We do that every year with Charlie, September, October, every year. And uh, Google me, Google Bike Truck, and you'll find any links to, that connect with me. And we'd love you to come and ride with us in Morocco or come and ride with us in, in, in Southern Africa and hear some of the stories from me and some of the stories from, of course, uh, the wonderful man that is Mr. Charlie Borman. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Billy. This is, it was awesome. Oh, it was lovely. Uh, really, really nice. Thank you for inviting me. I loved it. No problem, man. Absolutely. Have a good evening. Yeah, you too, dude. Bye-bye.